to music and travels as well. Um, there's a, also another connection. Way back in the day, she introduced her husband to New Community, and we have benefited from his leadership over Open Arms as our his executive director. So come on up, Rashida. I'm really excited to introduce her this morning. We're so glad you're here with us. Good morning. How are you all? Hot. You're hot. You're hot. Huh? I mean, that could go either way, huh? I'm Rashida Graham Washington, and I'm really, really excited to be with you all um, this morning. I'm really grateful for our new community. Uh, I was with you maybe a couple of years ago um, I served as the uh, Director for Mission Mobilization and Connection for Covenant Kids Congo for the Evangelical Church denomination. Hey girl, hey! <laughs> um, and uh, I had a chance to speak with you about that initiative. As I think about that day and I think about today and all that has occurred between those two mo moments, um, I wonder how much living one can do in such a short period of time. And I suspect that that is also true for you. Um, I also want to uh, just really underscore and highlight the beauty that exists in the partnership between new community and open arms. And I know that that partnership is beautiful because I get to witness it often in person. But more than that, I have been able to witness the transformation that has occurred in my husband, Daryl Washington, um, as a result of leading the ministry, Open Arms. And so I just wanna thank you for the ways that you support and contribute to it. I would ask that you would um, enhance that support on Sunday mornings so that he might be more available, so that I might feel more supported. <laughs> just do what you can, do what you can. Um, so I want to talk to you a little bit this morning, particularly from um, John 1010. Um, I transitioned out of my role with Covenant Kids Congo um, because I was really starting to feel a tug on my missiology and a morphing in the way that I perceive my missiology. That in leading Covenant Kids Congo, I'd had an experience in the Democratic Republic of Congo. I'm surprised you didn't whoop whoop for that one, Sarah. Whoop whoop! She's Congolese at heart. <coughs> and in my time and my journey and my experience in Congo, what really became clear to me um, is that at the core and essence of mission should be indigenous people whose heartbeat is the pulse of whatever the mission or ministry is. Um, and the more I thought about that and the more I wrestled with that, the more I wanted to make that message known, the more I feel, felt called to make that message known um, on a wide scale. So I stepped back from Covenant Kids Congo and became the executive director for Communities First Association, which is a national faith-based organization that is intently committed to the multiplication of asset-based community development, economic development, and equity. 
because you can't be doing asset-based community development unless you're having conversations and actionizing economic development and equity within communities. And that the important part of that is that we're not doing things to people and we're not doing things for people, but we are doing things with people. And in so doing, <clears throat> because we're not doing it to them or for them, we're doing it with them, it makes it a slower work, it makes it a more intense work, and what happens is that that makes space for our own human and spiritual transformation to occur as a result of the work. So it really shifts the paradigm that as we march off to do our mission work, that we're going to do something to a paradigm that says as we march off to do our mission work that we are actually going to be undone by something. That we are going to unpack ourselves and lay all of who we are before the Holy Spirit and that we're going to be malleable in the deconstruction and reconstruction of who we are because of whose we are, recognizing then that the space the curriculum, the textbook, the resources that are being used towards our transformation, our wondering, our learning, our growing, our curiosity, are the people we are there to do life with. That if we change this paradigm, <clears throat> we move from a place where the people we're with should be thankful for the ways that we have shown up, and we shift to a space where we're thankful for the people who were already there. That if we shift this paradigm, we move from a place where churches give us resources to come and help them do things to a place where we give churches and communities things, money, resource, time, energy, and effort because we recognize that it is our gift and our pleasure to be with them so that we might be transformed. The paradigm is shifting. And one might wonder, <clears throat> as we often say in the covenant, where is it written? <coughs> and the reality is that it is written in many places, and some of us go to Micah 6.8. <coughs> to think about that kind of work. Some of us go to Matthew 25 to think about that work. But this morning, <clears throat> we are going to go to John 10.10. 10. Actually, let's start at, we'll start at seven. John 10.7. And John 10, 7 in the NIV reads, Therefore Jesus said again, I tell you the truth, I am the gate for the sheep. <clears throat> All, <clears throat> excuse me. <clears throat> I am the gate for the sheep. All who ever came before me were thieves and robbers, but the sheep didn't listen to them. I am the gate. Whoever enters through me will be saved. He will come in and go out and find pasture. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. 
I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. I'll read it one more time, this time maybe without the frog in my throat. <laughs> Therefore Jesus said again, I tell you the truth. I am the gate for the sheep. All who ever came before me were thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not listen to them. I am the gate. Whoever enters through me will be saved. He will come in and go out and find pasture. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. Now, what's beautiful about these words is that there are black words and there are red words. And black words are the words of the narrator. They're my words, they're your words in our daily lives. They're the words of the people who are around us. They're black words. But these words are red words. And red words hold more power than black words. I love red words because I can stand on the authority of red words. Black words, not so much. If I came here this morning and I said to you, I've come that you might have life and have it more abundantly. That would be a very nice thing for me to say. It'd be kind of cool that I said it. It wouldn't have as much weight as the words I just read to you because the words that I just read to you are the red words. And the red words are spoken by one who has the power and the authority to bring forth what the red word says. What's beautiful about these words is that we can rest and abide in the red word. And this morning you ought to give God some praise for the red word because the red word is the word that holds the power. Now what's awesome about that is that Jesus lives inside of us. And if we get tethered and we discern the Holy Spirit's presence in our lives, sometimes we touch the point, the intersection between who we are and the Christ that lives within us. And all of a sudden, our words hold the weight and the power of the red word. Somebody understand the power that you reside in? Because Christ lives in you, the red word lives in you. And because the red word lives in you, you have the power and authority to create transformation in your life and the lives of the people around you. Hallelujah. Hallelujah for the red word. We haven't even begun to delve into what the red word says. I want you to celebrate the power in the word itself. Can you just stop for a moment before we exegete the text and give honor to the one who spoke the word in the first place? Amen. Jesus. Jesus. And he starts by saying, I tell you the truth. I tell you the truth. So we know that what is about to come forth from the mouth of Christ is something that we can stand on and depend upon. It's interesting to me how we come and we go and we do and we come and we go and we do. And sometimes when someone asks us, why are we coming and going and doing 
and coming and going and doing. We don't know. We don't know why we're doing the things we're doing. We don't know why we entered into the space. We don't know why we're exiting the space. We don't know how long we're supposed to be in the space. We don't know the direction we're supposed to take within the space. We didn't take a certain path to get to the space. And there is one who says that I am the gate. Jesus, I am the gate. So if Jesus is the gate, Jesus is the pass through. And how often do we take another route? If this is the gate, we go this way to avoid the gate. Or we go this way to avoid the gate. What if we engaged the gate? And what if in the process of engaging the gate, in order to go through the gate, you have to pass through the composition of the gate. I imagine we would show up on the other side of the gate quite differently. If we had to pass through the gate, see the gate is gonna bump up against us. It's gonna rub up against us. It's gonna touch our portion, our posture, the way we show up in a space. So as we think about our local mission, our national mission, our global mission, the mission of our homes and our schools and our workplaces, are we passing through the gate? Or are we taking a route that never causes us to bump up against the one who called himself the gate. Jesus says, I am the gate, and whoever enters through me will be saved. <clears throat> and that's not just about where I'm gonna go when I die. That's not about whether there's a heaven or a hell. Think about today's portion of salvation. What is today's portion of salvation? That if I pass through this gate, whoever goes through me will be saved, preserved, made whole, kept well, taken care of. So often we pass through the gates of mission or around, go around the gates of mission and we don't pass through the gate and we wonder why we're exhausted and why we're broken and why we're tired because we took the back way in order to save time and now we're in the space beyond the gate without having ever come through the gate that had the capacity to save us the whole time we were on the other side of the gate. We have nothing left to give. And maybe if we had passed through the gate, Jesus would have given us the portion of energy we required to be on the other side of the gate. Maybe if we passed through the gate, Jesus would have given us the faith that was required to be fortified on the other side of the gate. Maybe when we got to the gate, Jesus would have said, don't come through the gate, and we would have avoided being in a place we had no place being in the first place. This is why it's important to pass through the gate. That Jesus will save us the trouble or Jesus will save us in the midst of the trouble. But in order to have that covering, in order to have that preservation, in order to have the salvation, in order to be properly stewarded, we must be willing to face the gate, to name the gate, and to be willing to go through the gate, the gate of the Holy Spirit. The Bible says that he will come in and go out and find pasture. Three things, going in, coming out, 
finding pasture. I think sometimes we read this scripture and it says he will come in and then we, we go in, which means we miss the rest of the verse, the going out and the finding pasture. So we're in and 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 in. When are you going out? I didn't hear anything about going out. I only heard about going in. When are you going to rest? I don't know anything about rest. I just went in because I read the part that says go into mission, go into ministry, go into the work of Christ. I didn't read about coming out. I didn't read about going to pasture, which is to rest or have Sabbath. And because I didn't embrace the whole of it, if someone calls me out, I'm offended. I can't be called out. You can't call me out on the mission field. I hope someone calls me out on the mission field because the mission field is impacted by my willingness and my capacity to be called out of it, out from it, out in it. Call me out in it. Rashida, what are you doing? Why are you doing that? I'm curious about this. I'm wondering about something. Call me out. Let the Christ in you be willing to call me out. Rashida, your season's done. Help me discern when it's time for the coming out. And call me, please, back through the gate I came from because I get another pass through, which means I get to bump up against the one who is the gate. But we don't come out, so we don't get the second touch of Christ coming out through the gate. Go to pasture. We, oh, in church language, this is the worst place you can ever go, is out to pasture. We love the sheep metaphor until the pasture comes. And then we're like, no, I don't wanna go to the pasture. Well, friends, sheep, that's not where sheep die. Sheep die in other places. They don't die in the pasture, they rest in the pasture. And can we just acknowledge and embrace Sabbath and, and rest and soul care as a part of the mandate of Christ? Come on! Can we give ourselves permission to celebrate the whole gospel and have the Sabbath be a part of the whole gospel? Can we be all right with the need for rest? Because if we're not, we're saying we don't need rest. And I only know one who doesn't need rest. And if I'm saying I am that one, we got a bigger problem. Coming in, going out, and going to pasture. These are not my words. These are not black words. These are red words. The red word says, he will come in and go out and find pasture. And then Jesus says, the thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. And Jesus gives a parable about sheep just before this part of scripture. 
But without that parable, it sounds like Jesus has shifted the um, subject, changed the subject. He will come out and go, and he will come, he will come in and go out and find pasture. The thief comes only to, you're like, what? I thought we were in the pasture. Now how are we back to the thief? So there's some connection that Jesus is asking us to make here between the coming in through the gate, the going out and finding pasture. Jesus goes, look, the thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I've come that they may have life and have it to the full. And you're like, what does this have to do with the coming in and the going out and the pasture? Why are we talking about thieves now? Because we are being robbed of something very vital and significant when we are not standing at the gate, entering through the gate, coming out through the gate, and being willing to submit to the pasture. That if we are not practicing this spiritual practice, we are being robbed of something quite vital to our existence to our companionship, to the ways that we do relationship. And we're not only being robbed of it, we are robbing our families and our communities when we are not recognizing the gate, going through the gate, coming out of the gate, and then celebrating the gift of pasture. We are being stolen from, we are dying from it, we are collectively being destroyed by it, by our unwillingness to do this cycle that Jesus speaks of. I love the semicolon here between the thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy, semicolon. I have come that they may have life, comma, and have it to the full. Now you won't appreciate punctuation as much as I do because I have two degrees in writing. But this particular semicolon and comma are important because the, the semicolon shifts the paradigm that what comes after it in the red word gives us something better to hope for. That this is what the enemy has come to do However, I've come that you might have life. Because all you have to do to have life is pass through the gate. The comma is important because it doesn't even end there. And truth be told, I would have been perfectly satisfied and happy if it had ended there. The enemy came to kill you, but I came so you could have, thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. You spared me from the enemy, and now I can have life. But the Jesus we serve is a Jesus who wants so much more than just living for us. Jesus said that I've come that you might have life and that you might have it to the full. And so we go about our lives, and this is a scripture we can all almost um, quote out loud. We know it. It's by rote memory that we know it at this point. But do we know it? Because when we think about abundant life and we look around ourselves, we see big, monumental, tangible things. 
And when we look all over our country, we see big, monumental, tangible things as an indicator of whether or not John 10.10 is manifested in our lives. But we say that we are the hands and feet of Jesus. And this is an interesting conundrum to me because when I look at the life of Jesus, I don't see big monumental tangibles as the thing I identify the mission of Christ with, the identity of Christ, the character of Christ, the life of Christ was not one where big monumental tangibles served as the indicators of whether or not Jesus lived an abundant life. About two months ago, I had the honor and the gift and the privilege of going to Israel and Palestine. And while there, I was able to visit the Church of the Sepulchre. I was able to go to the nativity scene. I was able to see the Garden of Gethsemane. And I was able to walk the, the road that Jesus walked to crucifixion. In fact, I walked that road every morning before I started my day. And the road is about three feet wide and it's all cobblestone, and it is very hilly, especially coming out of it up to where the crucifixion took place, it's all hills. And I walked that cobblestone street in my Adidas gym shoes, and it was hard, hard for me to do. And as I walked it, a little bit out of breath, certainly pretty sweaty. I thought about Jesus, and I thought about how narrow the walk was, and I thought about the gates that Jesus had to go through, and I thought about the fact that I was doing it with just my person to carry, and I thought about that Jesus had to do that carrying a cross. And I thought about the fact that if the road was only three feet wide and people were there snaring at Jesus, that Jesus' enemies would not have been far off from where he walked because the road itself was only three feet wide. So Jesus would have had to carry this cross up this hill with no gym shoes or shoes at all with, the, with his enemies within three feet of him doing this process. And then I thought again what it looks like and what it sounds like and what it feels like to be the hands and the feet of Jesus. And I could not ignore the proximity Jesus had to his own perceived enemy. How often do we go to the gate and walk through the gate so that the Holy Spirit can pass over us that we might feel anointed enough to be within a three-foot proximity of our enemies carrying and bearing the load that we perceive they put on our backs. You want to talk about mission? You want to talk about the hands and feet of Jesus? This, friends, is the great mission. These are the hands and feet of Jesus. And he didn't walk that cobblestone street with his homies. 
He didn't walk the cobblestone street with those who were like-minded. He didn't walk the cobblestone street with ones who would offer him water for the journey. He didn't walk the cobblestone street with those who had the same mission in mind. He didn't walk the cobblestone street with people who prompted him and encouraged him and made him feel good about his experience. Sure, there was a little bit of that here and there from the Marys and the Marthas of the world, but he walked that cobblestone street amongst who he perceived as his own enemy. When is the last time you've been willing to walk with your enemy in proximity? In proximity and in vulnerable proximity. Not suited and booted, covered, protected, feigning security and confidence, broken, bruised, almost naked, bleeding, scarred, torn down, beat up, and exhausted. You show up to your enemy. This is the hands and feet of Jesus. 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 And this is the abundant life. This is life to the full. Not when I look outside my window. Not when I show up to the airport, not when I drive down the streets of Chicago, not when I talk to people I do life with. But Jesus understood something about proximity to the one we perceive as our enemy. Jesus understood that I have to be willing to show up as my own authentic self if anything is ever to change. And that I have to be willing to be unapologetic about the way that I show up, all in my mess, all in my brokenness, all in my exhaustion, and in my fatigue, in my heart, crooked, torn, and broken places, because I'm inviting my enemy to consider the possibility of doing just the same. And it is out of that vulnerable place that we might begin to whisper a truth. <laughs> we might be willing to start where Jesus starts, verse 7, where he says, I tell you the truth. I'm so tired of fighting with you. And then our perceived enemy might say, you know, I'm glad you said that. I wasn't going to say it. But since you did, hands and feet of Jesus. I'm tired too. And maybe we don't know how not to be weary today, but maybe what we know is how to at least be weary together. And if we could be weary together for a little while, we might be able to talk our way and walk our way to a place where we're a little less weary. And if we could talk and walk our way to a place where we're a little bit less weary, we might be able to use that energy to come up with a possible solution for peace. Because we're passing through the gate when we're vulnerable. We're passing through the gate when we're open. We're passing through the gate when we are our most authentic selves. I walk the place where Jesus passed through the gate. 
It was not a beautiful and clean and pristine walk, but it was a truth walk. It was an honest walk. It was a significant walk because it was a vulnerable walk. Howard Thurman gave a speech in 1980 to Spelman College. He said, there is something in every one of you that waits, listens for the sound of the genuine in yourself, and if you cannot hear it, you will never find whatever it is for which you are searching. And if you hear it and then do not follow it, it was better that you had never been born. You are the only you that has ever lived. Your idiom is the only idiom of its kind in all of existence. And if you cannot hear the sound of the genuine in you, you will all of your life spend your days on the ends of strings that somebody else pulls. There is in you something that waits and listens for the sound of the genuine in yourself. And sometimes there is so much traffic going on in your minds, so many different kinds of signals, so many vast impulses floating through your organism that go back thousands of generations long before you were even a thought in the mind of creation. And you are buffeted by these. And in the midst of all of this, you have got to find out what your name is. Who are you? How does the sound of the genuine come through you? The sound of the genuine is, follow, is flowing through you. Don't be deceived and thrown off by all the noises that are a part even of your dreams, your ambitions, so that you don't hear the sound of the genuine in you because that is the only true guide that you will ever have. And if you don't have that, you don't have anything. Life more abundantly. Life to the full. Not just living. Not just living somebody else's life. Life more abundantly. Life to the full is knowing and hearing, understanding, becoming tethered to, being attached to the sound of the genuine in your soul. This is what living John 10, 10 is all about. It's not about the stuff. It's about the sound of the genuine in you. And I believe that Howard Thurman had a sense of what the Holy Spirit was. The Holy Spirit is the sound of the genuine in you. And if you can get tied to the sound of the genuine in you, and you can live out what the sound of the genuine is calling out of you, then you are living life and living it to the full. Amen. I thank God for a simple way of being. That's it. Listen for the sound of the genuine and do what it tells you to do. If you do that coming through me, you will have life more abundantly. This is it. Can we listen for the sound of the genuine? And can we trust it enough when we hear it to follow it through the gate? Amen. Amen and amen. Let us pray. God, we thank you so much for the simple ways in which you speak to us because it is through your simple voice that we can hear you 
and we can take a corrective course. God, we thank you for giving us our soul force. We thank you for the sound of the genuine and the way that it already rests inside of our bodies. We thank you, God, for giving us the great witness of your son, Jesus Christ, that we might have a map to follow as we listen to the sound of the genuine. We thank you, Lord, that you have given us a place to meet you at the gate. We thank you for the invitation to walk through that you might cover us in your spirit and that we would be better for the pass-through. We thank you for the benefit and the wonder and the splendor that exists in being able to come in. We thank you for the courageous permission to go out. And we celebrate the gift of going to pasture. We are thankful, God, for the ways that you remind us of the significance of peace and rest. And so we magnify you and we glorify you, Lord, because you're worthy to be praised and there is none like you in all the earth. We thank you that we can find the sound of our genuine because you are the sound of the genuine. And God, as we enter into your midst each day, we ask that you would break our vessels, that we might recognize the cracks in our vesselship, but that through your healing, and through your presence, we might be made whole in the ways that you intended when you called us to be the hands and feet, that we might be present to do your work. And we do your work not because we deserve to, we do your work not because we're good at it, we do your work not because we're good people, we do your work because you're worthy, Jesus. We thank you for a worthy call and we ask that you would bless what we've heard this morning, and we thank you in advance for how you will use it and manifest it in our lives to your glory. It is in your son Jesus' name that we pray, amen. Therefore, the message this morning. We appreciate your ministry and we trust that God will continue to use you to further his kingdom. Uh, we will transition to Holy Communion, but before then, I do want to say Happy Father's Day. Happy Father's Day. I know that some of us do have different emotions, different memories this morning. We do want to let you know that the Good Shepherd, who has promised not just life, but life in abundance, is here. He is here to minister to you whether it be pain or joy whether it be regret whether it be shame abuse 
Whether it be celebrations, Jesus is here. And as we come this morning to participate in this communion, be reminded of what we heard this morning. That he has given us the gift of life. Life abundantly. And I hope that you will continue to meditate on these words. John 10, 10 Even as you come this morning for the communion. Come to this sacred table. Not because you must. But because you may. Come to testify not that you are righteous, but that you sincerely love our Lord Jesus Christ and desire to be his true disciple. Come, not because you are strong, but because you are weak. Not because you have any claim on the grace of God, but because in your frailty and sin, you stand in constant need of God's grace and mercy. Come. Not to express an opinion, but to see God's presence and pray for the guidance of his spirit. I do want to invite you to take a moment. In the words of Paul, Paul said, do not partake in the communion in an unworthy manner. In other words, that we might take the time to ask for forgiveness of any kind of sin that the Holy Spirit might bring to our memory even now. So I want to invite you to take just a moment of silence and pray in your heart, confessing whatever sins need to be confessed. says if we confess our sins God is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness may the almighty God have mercy on us even as we have confessed our sins to him may the power of the Holy Spirit Remind us of the forgiveness that is found only in Christ Jesus. And that we might learn to lean into that forgiveness. Even as we participate this morning in the communion. And with this assurance of forgiveness, brothers and sisters, hear the words of Jesus as delivered by Paul. Paul said the Lord Jesus on the night he was betrayed took a loaf of bread and after giving thanks he broke it and he said this is my body that is given for you 
for the forgiveness of your sins so that you are restored back into right relationship with God with one another as well and in the same way he took the cup and he said this is the blood of the new covenant that has been given for you he said do this in remembrance of me for as often as you eat this bread and drink of this cup, you proclaim the gospel. I will invite Nate to join me this morning, even as we serve the communion together. So sisters and brothers, whenever you are ready, you can come to the front and we will serve you.